We're in the fourth week of this teaching series through the book of Psalms. We've been calling it Playlist because it's, the book of Psalms is a bunch of songs, S-O-N-G-S, and they're ancient songs that were sung in the temple uh, to worship God in the time of the temple in Jerusalem. And so it's really cool to look back at those Psalms and see how familiar they are, really. I mean, there are pieces of them that you've gotta kinda like get some background information on and, and understand a little bit better, but, but by and large, People haven't changed. We have the same emotions, the same problems, the same questions about God. And so what we've done is we've kind of looked at this through the lens of different emotions and how do I worship God through these different emotional times in my life. In, In the first week, we looked at Psalm chapter 50, sorry, 46, Psalm chapter 46, and we saw how do I worship God in a time of despair? And that, a little groove going? Yeah, I was about to salsa, but y'all didn't want to see that. Psalm 46 teaches, what do we do with God in a time of despair? The following week, we looked at Psalm 103, and we asked, what do we do with our celebration? Like, how can we take that to God in in worship? The third week, this was last week, we looked at joy. Joy is a time of, you know, it's easy to look inwardly, but how do we take our joy and how do we point it back at God? And so that's where we've been. If you look throughout all the psalm, it covers pretty much any end of the emotional spectrum and the life spectrum. I'm glad we had the last two weeks of happy times talking about celebration and joy because today we're going to dive back into some of the harder times. Today we're going to look at Psalm chapter 51 and we're answering the question of how do I worship God in my guilt? Have you been there? Guilt, sin, brokenness, maybe disappointing God. Grab a Bible, flip over to Psalm chapter 51. If you have a Bible, if you need a Bible, we've got uh, ones that you can borrow or keep down at the, par- the coffee bar. There's actually a gray, uh, a gray shelf near the door, and these are free. If you need one, keep it, write your name in the front, or if you just want to borrow it for the day, that's fine too. And look at Psalm chapter 51. It's going to take a minute for us to get there because we've got to back up. Let's talk about guilt. If I look back in my life, I try to remember, like, what is my earliest memory of feeling guilty? And the one that comes to mind is, I don't know how old I was, maybe fourth grade, I was a little kid, and I uh, had gotten a BB gun for Christmas. And my dad had given me uh, the basic talk about BB guns when a kid gets a BB gun, but there was really only one additional rule other than safety stuff, and it was this, don't shoot the birds in the backyard. That was the, actually, I don't think he had that much faith in me. It was like, don't shoot at the birds. He's like, you're probably not going to hit them, but don't shoot at them. Don't shoot the birds in the backyard. And so that was the one rule going out. And of course, you know, I'll cut to the chase. I walk in the backyard, and I tell you, there was this blue jay sitting on the fence, just pretty as could be. And I, I promise you, that thing looked at me with this little beak, and it was like, bet you can't hit me. It did a little tail wag. I don't know what it did. And I was like, I bet you I can. It was like, I bet you I can't. And it was wrong. Uh, I, I could. I could hit that blue jay. I took aim and fired and hit it. And my first thought was like, take that blue jay, talk to me. But my second thought, very close on the heels was, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> and I walked over and I mean, maybe it was because it was, I had taken the life of another living thing and that's why I felt guilt. Probably though is because I couldn't tell anybody about this awesome shot I just got. Because <laughs> dad said don't shoot at the birds. And so, truth be told, I actually did tell my dad, it wasn't long after, because there was a dead blue jay in the yard, and I'm a fourth grader, like, what do I do with that? I'm not going to touch it, you know? And so, he, my dad, I think, dealt with it really well. He made me bury it. Yeah, that's just, I have that memory, like, you had to bury the bird you shot. And then, he took my BB gun away for probably a long time. He might still have it. I don't remember what happened after that. Um, 
But I remember experiencing guilt, and it, it was strong. And, and, and in that scenario, like, it, it went by pretty quick. Like, I dealt with it, I confessed, and I had consequences, and it passed. But in my life, I've definitely had seasons where I had guilt that lasted much longer. Maybe you can relate to this. Like, it was like this heavy backpack of guilt. It's just there. And sometimes I'd forget about it, but then it would start whispering in my ear and remind me like, yeah, you messed up. You're a failure. You let people down. You let God down. It's just there. And there are things that I still hold on to that I know I should be past, but every now and then, it's right there. Maybe you can relate with shooting the bluebird and the blue jay, or, or maybe you can more seriously relate with the carrying of this guilt. It's a pain and it's heaven and the, heavy, and the question is, how do I continue to worship God through my guilt? And how do I maybe help that to go away? So today we're going to be in Psalm chapter 51, but we're not there yet, because the psalmist does this, this trick. I told you that in a lot of the psalms, there are this little uh, subheader that gives you some context, and this is what our, our English Bibles have printed. This is what it says. It says that this psalm is for the director of music. This is a note to the director, so if you're directing a cantata, this is for you. A psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now, you may know that story, you may not. So before we get into Psalm 51, we need to know the background. Like, what's going on? There's some sort of affair going on? Is it King, King David? We're talking about King David here. If you don't know the story, I'll give it to you real quick. It's, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. You can look it up. I'm not going to read it. We're not going to break it down. I just want to give you like the Cliff's Note version. But basically, it was like this. King David saw a woman that he was very attracted to, but she was married to another man, which is complicated when you like a girl. Well, he does a foolish thing. He sends a servant out to find out more about this woman and then has the servant invite her back to his palace so that he could act out his passion for her. And they slept together. She became pregnant. Boom. Scene one. Like, it's a mess, okay? That's the story that happens in the beginning of the story. And right there, David's already made several mistakes. I mean, the first mistake he may have made was just by lusting after another man's wife, but then he takes it even farther by crossing some physical lines with this woman. And beyond that, this is kind of a side thing, but it's actually really important. The husband, his name was Uriah. Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, was a faithful soldier for David. David's the king, and these are ancient times, and so there's really nothing that makes you powerful like having your army. And this is one of his faithful soldiers who every day went out willing to give his life for King David. Totally not cool. But that's not, you know, the worst of it. It continues. Because David begins to try to cover up his mistakes. And he has this first plot, and he's like, okay, I'm going to cover up the pregnancy. That's the first plot. Long story short, it doesn't work. Nobody buys it, and it just doesn't work out. So he's like, oh, I got to do something. He convinces himself that the only way to cover up this mistake, to get rid of this guilt in his mind, I need to have the husband Uriah killed. I am the king after all. It would be very easy for me. And he's a soldier. So he arranges it with like the general and the commanders. And he's like, listen, at a, at a given time, they're, they're at battle right now. They were in war at the time. So I want you to take Uriah out, put him in a really dangerous spot, and then have all the troops abandon him and hope that he dies. It totally worked. Yes. Problem solved. Uriah's dead. Problem solved. And David got to be a hero. Yeah, because he gets to be like, oh, Bathsheba, I heard your husband was killed in battle. You know what? I'm going to do the noble thing, and I'm going to take you to be my wife, and I'll bring you into my palace. I'm going to take care of you. So from the outside looking in, David looks like a great guy. But on the inside, guilt, guilt, 
guilt. Now, he totally could have gotten away with it. I'm sure many kings have. (laughs) Except for God had somebody keeping an eye out. There's a guy named Nathan. Nathan was a prophet of the Lord, and God would communicate with Nathan. And Nathan's role in the kingdom was to be an advisor to the king, to help him see what God wants, make sure he's following scripture, that kind of stuff. Also, apparently, God would show up to Nathan and give him thoughts about what's happening in David's life and say, hey, did you know this thing happened with this woman Bathsheba? It needs to be dealt with. Uh, Nathan, I think you should go deal with it. So Nathan has to confront the king. So he goes and sees the king. Now, Nathan's not stupid. You don't just walk into a mighty king's room and be like, hey, you did something bad and you're guilty because this guy, I mean, he just had Uriah killed. What's going to keep him from killing you also? So, but he's clever. So he walks in and he says, King David, we got an issue. Something's happened in your kingdom. We think you need to know about it. Uh, there was this guy, and he had a lamb. It was very precious to him. He treated it like a pet. It was like a member of his family. He loved this little lamb. But his neighbor came over and stole the lamb and slaughtered it and ate it. What should we do about this you know, terrible thing that's been done, David? And David is upset. You can look at it in 2 Samuel 12, 5. It'll be on the screen here. It says that David burned with anger against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And this is where Nathan caught David in his guilt. Because Nathan knew everything that had happened. He begins to talk to him. Listen, David. This man should be dealt with? He, he says, David, you are that man. And then he reveals to David what he knows. I know that there was another man's wife. I know that not only did you take her, but you had the husband killed. And I've got a word for you from God. You can look at it in 2 Samuel 12, 9. Nathan says, why did you despise the work of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. And then Nathan goes on and he talks about the consequences for this and how God's going to deal with him. And as it all unfolds, you see a turn in David's mind that actually I believe becomes Psalm chapter 51. Remember, we're studying Psalms today. We're not in 2 Samuel. But this is the background. This is the sentence we see in verse 13. It says, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He realizes his guilt And he begins to deal with it. Now, he deals with it heavily. And the question remains for us, what do I do with my guilt? David was guilty, caught red-handed, busted by the prophet. What does he do with his guilt? What do we do with our guilt? Like, there are areas of our life where we know that we've done wrong. And the question is, how do I make it right? How do I make it right with other people? How do I make it right with God? Well, Psalm chapter 51 was David's response, and it's a beautiful prayer of repentance. Repentance is a huge word today. Repentance, let me give you what I think is a really simple but pure definition for repentance. Repentance is simply turning back to God. To whatever degree you've turned away from God, you turn back to Him. And repentance is an activity that you can partake in every single day. In fact, you should. Because probably every day you veer a little bit away from God and just return, return, return. That's repentance. So now, with all that backstory, let's finally jump into Psalm chapter 51 and see where it goes. And so this is, this is going to be basically the last half of our time together today. We're going to break it into three sections, okay? And each section is a, a part of dealing with our guilt that I think you can actually put into practice right now, today. The first part is the first six verses. Psalm 51, 1 through 6, David says this, have mercy on me, O God. 
according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Remember that book bag of guilt? My sin's there. I know what I've done wrong. So when we know that we're guilty of something, isn't this our, our prayer or at least our desire that can we just make this go away? That's kind, of, that's kind of where he starts out. I know what I've done wrong. Uh, it keeps going to verse four. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Now, he says, against you and against you only have I sinned. Now, the truth is he's sinned against Uriah, pretty hardcore. Uh, he's sinned, sinned against Bathsheba on some level. He's sinned against his people. He's the king. But he's boiling it down to like, ultimately, what my sin hurts is you, O oh Lord. So he's not like, he's got a, he has consequences for the other people that he hurt, but he's taking this to God in verse five. He continues to humble himself. He says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Have you ever felt that way? Oh, I wish I was never born, you know? I'm just a scumbag, that's where he is. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb, and you taught me wisdom in that secret place. So these, verses, these first six verses have been called David's prayer of confession. So we're going to see that there's three prayers that we can kind of pray today by taking this whole passage and breaking it down. So the first one is a prayer of confession. And he's confessing before God what he's done wrong, that he knows that he knows why it was wrong, that he feels terribly about it. He's confessing. Confession is a crucial step to being made right in our guilt. We've just got to get it off our chest. We've just got to be right about it. Now, for David, it took someone else to call him out. Nathan comes in and, and uh, you know, I've been there. That's most often where I've been. It's like someone else needs to call me out. It's important for us to have like some self-assessment. That's why our quiet time with God is important or reading our Bibles or prayer, like on your own. But like, uh, isn't it true that it's so much easier to see someone else's fault than to see, for them to see their own, right? And so we need to superimpose that on ourselves and understand it is harder for us to see our own faults than for someone else to let us know. A little side note here accountability is important. To have people in your life who can speak truth into your brokenness, that is so valuable. I would argue that that is probably one of the main reasons why Jesus instituted the church. We were not meant to do this by ourselves. In our time of, of shutdown and when we were in our houses for so long, I mean, worldwide, the statistics were staggering about the amount of depression and amount of straying from God that there was and all the other negative impacts on us emotionally because we were not built to function alone. Even if you're an introvert, okay? I function, I'm a high-functioning introvert is who I am, okay? And so, but even introverted people, guess what? You need people in your life. If for no other reason, accountability. Someone to speak into your life and say, listen, this is where you're strong, this is where you're weak, can I love you and help you? And so for David, king of his world, this guy Nathan has to come in and do that. And there's other people that do that with David. And the truth is that we need to continue to have ourselves exposed to the light. Because in our world, darkness prevails. And if we're not continually exposing ourselves to the light of God, the, the light can begin to seem dim. And the darkness can begin to seem stronger. It's not. Darkness never wins over light, never. But when you're on your own, that can feel that way. So David gets caught red-handed. Uh, he was guilty, but he was ready to move forward with God. And so the first step of repentance that he made and, and then that we can make, a first step is confession. A admit it to God, what you know you've done. Admit it to the people that you've hurt. That's the hardest step, but I can tell you it's the most cleansing step 
We can finally open up with the people that you've hurt. Uh, and a lot of times you have to admit it to yourself because you've been living in a lie. <laughs> this is fine. And so at some point you have to say, this is not fine. Confession. That's, that's his first step. Now, these first six verses are about confession, but I want to talk about us as a church community. Uh, we have this kind of three-part mantra that we say all the time, and we haven't said it as often recently. I want to bring it back and say it more often. Uh, we say this. It'll be on the screen behind me. So if you know this and you're familiar with it, let's say it together. That this. We are God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Let's just say that one more time. If you've never heard it before, just listen. It's, a, it's an important phrase for our church family, that we are God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. And I could break all those down. I've done sermon on, sermons on all three of them. Being a, a God chaser is about putting him at the center of our life. Being a love agent is why we do these community touch things and we're trying to overflow God's love. But let's talk about that center one for a second. Being grace-shaped. Being grace-shaped is, is this. Like, there are so many things in this world that will shape us. Your opportunities or your lack of opportunities will shape you. Your successes and your failures will shape you. Your past shapes you. It's kind of logical. You are who you are because of what you've been through, right? That's how the world measures us. And when they look at you, often they will see you by your failure. Just look at so many different scenarios. We judge ourselves by our failures. But what does it mean to be grace-shaped? From the second we turn our hearts towards God in repentance, we come into contact with Jesus and His blood and all the things that that does to forgive us. From the second that begins, you no longer have to be shaped by your past. You don't have to be shaped by your circumstances. You don't have to be shaped by your failures. And as good as it might make you feel to be shaped by your successes, guess what? It don't matter. You can't be good enough. You're only shaped by the grace of God. He looks in, he peels back your sin, he imparts forgiveness on you, and he says, I shape you from here on out. Don't forget that. How do we know this is true? If one of your best friends did what David just did, okay, took some other man's wife and killed the husband, Come on, like that's, that's horrible. If you grew up in Sunday school and you heard this story, you're like, yeah, that's just what David did. No, that's terrible. That's like, can you think of something worse to do with your life than that? Yet, when we look at like the epitaph on David's life, does anybody remember the way David is remembered? See if you can fill in the blank. That David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man after God's own heart. Really? After you just heard what David did. Yet, that's how he's remembered. You know why? Because David came into contact with the grace of God. And even though he was broken and he wasn't perfect after that, what shaped his life was that he got back on path with God, grace-shaped, and he's remembered for his chasing of the heart of God, not for his failures. Now, we bring up his failures. Why? Because failures have consequences. Guess what? That baby was born, okay? Like, that was, or did they lose that baby? Sorry, I should have researched that better. I should remember the story. But there were consequences for his relationship with Bathsheba. There was pain. There was, uh, there was a lot of, uh, he had to do mourning throughout that situation. Yeah, they lost that baby. Like it's, there were consequences, but beyond the consequences was still the grace of God. He has his prayer of, uh, of uh, confession. Then we get into the next section. I think it's six more verses. And we're just going to call this a prayer of cleansing. A prayer of cleansing. Because he's taken the step of, you know, airing out the laundry. But now we've got to, now we've got to get ourselves clean. The prayer of cleansing. We're going to pick it up at verse 7. He says this. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. 
hyssop. Hyssop's a plant, and it was used ceremonially a lot in Jewish worship, particularly during sacrifices. And so when he says, cleanse me with hyssop, it's a very cultural thing. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. If you're reading in your Bibles right now, underline verse 10, you're going to need it, okay? Just going to say, that's a powerful verse. Verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I've learned that this is true, that when you realize how dirty you are, you tend to want to take a bath. <laughs> you ever had that moment? You're working in the yard, and you're like, oh, whew, time for a shower. Or oh, that crazy moment when you've been mowing the grass or weed eating, and you take your shoes and socks off and like your legs are different colors from like the ankle down or whatever. Like you're like, I need to wash. And this is where David is. David says, I know my brokenness. I know that I've been guilty. And so instead of running from God, I need to turn from him and ask to be cleansed, ask to be washed. He confessed and then he prayed a prayer of of cleansing. And that prayer of cleansing can be powerful. I love how this is specifically for David about uh, his heart. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Can I just share with you like super transparently that when I've hit times of sin in my life and I don't even know how to approach God and I feel guilty. And I'm talking like, I mean, I'm not talking about 20 years ago. I'm like, still, I'm a preacher and I sin, okay? So like happens. And sometimes I don't even know how, like how do I move past this thing that I've just done or said or thought or whatever. I've returned to this verse so many times. In fact, this, this middle and last part of the whole chapter, 51, because it's a powerful prayer. God created me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Like steadfast, like the ability to stick it out, you know, to make it to get past sin next time. I can tell you that these prayers for cleansing help. They make a big difference in your life because they rewrite your brain and they refocus what you're thinking about. You're not just like, whoa, it was me, I'm a bad person, I'm a bad person. You're like, no, 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 no. God is good, God is good, God is good, God is good, God is good. Cleanse me, God is good. Because if you're focused on your mess and your guilt and your sin, guess what's gonna win? Your mess and your guilt and your sin. It's a spiritual battle. So we need to go to the spiritual champion. And it works. Uh, this is an important step to come to. We've got to confess. We've got to get it out in the open. We've got to talk to the people that we've hurt. We've got to talk to God. But then we've got to go to him and say, I want something new. I want something different. And so maybe that's what you need to hear. Maybe that's what you need to do. But David doesn't end there. He steps into a third section that people have called his prayer of consecration. So we've had a prayer of confession, a prayer of cleansing, a prayer of consecration. What is consecration? Consecration is about dedication. It's about setting something apart for a purpose. And so a very basic example is you might sit with your family. I sit with my family and I say, hear ye, hear ye. I hereby you know, declare that next week shall be our family vacation week, okay? That week has been consecrated and I better not schedule something next week, right? No matter what we got going on, next week we're out of town, we're doing whatever, right? That, so you've consecrated that time for a purpose. And consecration can happen on so many levels and it's often used in a, in a spiritual sense that we're going to God and we're saying, I wanna be proactive. Lord, I want to seek your holiness. I want to seek your face. I want to consecrate myself. Dedicate is a better word maybe that we use more often. Dedicate or declare myself your servant. I'm going to consecrate myself. So let's read his prayer of consecration starting at verse 13. Then, so once I've confessed and I'm clean, then I will teach transgressors your way. 
I promise. I'm going to share your story. I'm going to help other people find your truth. Think think about it that way as we continue. Uh, So that sinners will turn back to you. He says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. Oh God, you who are my Savior, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. I'm going to worship you. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. There are many times where God's like, stop offering me stuff. Your heart's dirty. You don't even care about me. You're just trying to give me stuff to make me feel better. God, God says that through several prophets. And so David understands that. You don't just want my stuff. You want my heart. But he's going to turn that back around. He says, my sacrifice, oh God. It's not my stuff right now. It's my broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. So may it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Remember, Zion's a nickname for Jerusalem. And then you will delight in the sacrifices of righteousness and burnt offerings offered whole, and then, and then bulls will be offered on your altar. He's like, listen, once my heart's in the right place, then I know that my offerings will matter to you. David's dedicating, he's consecrating, he's declaring himself and his kingdom. Guys, that is something that we've got to understand. You have a kingdom. Every one of us do. It might be small, it might be big, it might be really poor, it might be really rich financially, but it's your kingdom. And when it comes to setting ourselves apart for God, we've got to set it all apart, myself and my kingdom. This isn't just making a deal with God, okay? It's not that maybe you've had those moments, God, if you'll do this for me, I will never cuss again. I will stop at one beer. I will come to church every week. Like whatever, like we we make these deals with God. God isn't interested in our deals. He wants our heart. And so this is not what David's doing. He's saying, listen, I give you my heart. I want to dedicate myself to you because of who you are. He confesses, he prays for cleansing, but then he says, now I want to be wholly yours. Now we're actually in Psalm chapter 51, that's what we're reading, but Psalm 51 does not happen without 2 Samuel 11 and 12. That's the backstory of repentance for David and his guilt. And this is my question. What is your backstory for your guilt and your brokenness? We all have it. I'm not going to stand here and pretend like there's anyone in this room, including myself, who just has it all together because we just are good. No, we have our own brokenness. But your backstory does not have to determine your future. There's so many different things that we learn from the story of David and Bathsheba and this psalm. And I think one of them is this phrase, maybe it sticks with you the way it stuck with me, that your sin doesn't have to define your future. But your response to that sin will define your future. Like David could have just kept living in it. He could have had Nathan executed. He could have kept them. If you look at the history of the kings of Israel, that's what a lot of them do. The majority of them do. They just keep living in the guilt. It becomes their friend and their compassion, their companion, and they're cool with it. Or maybe they're not cool with it, but they don't know the other way out. Your sin doesn't have to define your, your future, but your response to your sin will. And our first step is to be proactive and say, I need to turn my heart to God. But the beauty of that is that you're not alone. You're not alone because God's Holy Spirit has been promised to help you through that. Like if you don't think you're strong enough to get through it, guess what? You're correct about that. But you're not called to do it by yourself. You get to have accountability from brothers and sisters who are trying to do this too. And you get to have the power of God in your life to do that. But it begins when we turn to Him. Like, I'm speaking to two audiences here, I think, today, maybe. I don't know everyone's heart. I'm not going to try to pretend. But there's a percentage of us in this room today who have begun the process of turning our heart to God. This is the promise for you. There's some of us who maybe haven't begun the process of turning our heart to God in repentance. 
That's what we in Christian world call becoming a Christian. You know, saying, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to go through the, the act of faith of, of baptism. I want to put myself in a community of people. Like, there's all these things that we, that we can do. But my, my, my truth I want us to know is that the destination can be the same for all of us. And our response to our guilt is going to determine how that ends up for us. And you don't have to do it alone. David worked through it on his own. He had the power of God's Holy Spirit. You even hear him use the phrase Holy Spirit. A lot of times in, in church world, we're like, well, the church has the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, they didn't have it. No, David talks about the Holy Spirit in Psalm 51. But what's cool about us is that we have it even better. We have an advocate in Jesus Christ. God came to earth in the form of a man named Jesus. And I wanna read you from 1 John 2, 1 through 2. Listen to this in the context of your guilt, your backstory, and even David's story. This is what he says in verse 1. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That's the goal. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Guilt can be heavy. We all have it on some level. But there's some ways to work it out and to take it to God. And, and we've got these three words to use. Maybe this can be an exercise for you this week. If you've got a journal, or if you want to get a scrap of paper and, and use it this week, I, I recommend you take these three C words. If you need them again, ask me, text me, email me. I'll give them to you again. Confession. Every single day, it is important that we take stock of our actions. Who do I need to apologize to? Who do I need to make things right with? Can I encourage you to start with the people that you share a house with? You gotta be on the same page with these people. You share so much with them. The people that you work with, the people that you most interact with. Maybe some people that you heard a long time ago and you're just like, well, absence makes the heart forget. <laughs> Confession. And most importantly, what are the things that are keeping me from growing closer to God? And take those to him in prayer. Lord, this is where I am. This is where I've messed up. I know it. I've made a mistake. Confession. The second thing is the prayer for cleansing. And this can be the most therapeutic of them all, I think. The beauty of cleansing for a Christian is that once we turn to Jesus that first time, he's promised to continue to give us grace beyond that. You're going to mess up after that. Anybody with me on that? <laughs> but we're in his camp. And he's got our back. I love the picture of Christian baptism. We talk about cleansing. First Peter says that baptism is not the removal of dirt from your body, but a pledge of clean conscience towards God. However, there's a lot that happens on the spiritual realm, I think, in baptism. And I love the picture of it as a washing. One passage calls it a washing of regeneration. But the, the thing about baptism is that Romans 6 paints this story of you being buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. It's like you're putting to death the old person. So, I don't know, if cleansing and baptism go hand in hand with you, that's a, that's a cool picture. But either way, it's just the fact that Jesus comes in and he washes your heart. Create in me a pure heart, oh God, and help me have this steadfast heart to continue working for you. If you have never accepted Jesus, you've never taken the step to say, I wanna make Jesus my savior, I want to invite him into my life, I wanna go through this process of, 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 of baptism, I wanna encourage you to make today your day. Don't keep carrying that big heavy book bag. We're gonna have a chance later for some of our leaders will be at the back of the room near the, the rear coffee table. And if you just need to pray with somebody or talk with somebody, go do that today. And they could talk through you uh, what it's like to just begin a walk with Jesus. Or maybe restart. Maybe you just are visiting today. You're like, yeah, I need to get back into this. 
start with a conversation. Uh, that's, that's the prayer for cleansing. The last one is this, and this is the hardest one, but maybe the most important one. A prayer for consecration, dedication, declaring. The only way to truly move past your sin and your guilt is to dedicate yourself to something else, serving your creator. If we're honest, we tend to serve our guilt. That's why it keeps coming back. But we've got to consecrate ourselves, set ourselves apart for his service, repentance, turning to God, not just that one time or that two times or when you do something real bad, but like every day, small course correction and devote ourselves to his service. So if I may, I would love to have prayer with you today and I'd like to go through these three together. So if you'll join me in prayer. Father, I pray a prayer of confession that we all have our mess and we have our, our background and we lay it before you. We give it all to you and we ask that you just move in us and help us to do better. Right now, Lord, if, if each of us will, will put toward you the, the thoughts of the mess that we've made and help us to make it right. Lord, I pray a prayer of cleansing. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. I pray that you wash away my desire for sin and create in me a desire for holiness. And may we all pray that, that as a community, we can be in a place of just building one another up and finding cleansing in that. And then, Father, we pray for consecration, that you will set us apart, that you will help us to dedicate ourselves, that we will open up our lips and our mouths will declare your praise, that we will declare to the friends around us that in their brokenness that they can have freedom, and that we'll remind ourselves, Lord, that we are called with a purpose, that we no longer serve uh, the kingdom of this world, but the kingdom of the Father of lights, the Creator our God. We love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.